the Children Podcast. My name is Louis Mizell, and today we are going to be breaking down the NBA so far. So before we get into that, just two quick things for you just our patients. Of course, of course, down there, uh, me a lot. This is the Best Babies Google channel. We'll be doing uh, Patient Only Box Breaks soon, hopefully, if you get enough. And other than that, just subscribe. It means a lot to us. We put a lot of work into this and just seeing some support or saying like or just seeing anything means a lot to us so uh that's it we won't waste your time any further so let's get right into our main topic of discussion we have the phoenix suns and their red red hot start Ishan, tell me how the suns have been the best team in the nba so far all right so they're sitting at five and one right now number one in the west and tied for the number one record in the nba with philly and I think the best place to start right now is Monty Williams. We were pretty high on him, or very high on him, coming into the season as a coach. We all know what he was capable with, especially in the bubble. But he has really been playing well, and he's been distributing the ball out so well. Just Devin Booker is the only player above 20 points, right? Scoring above 20 points. And the next highest score is Mikel Bridges at 15. Then there's Cameron Johnson at 14, CP3 at 13, Aiden at 12, Crowder at 11, Payne at 9, Saric at 8. So they've been able to distribute the ball really well. And while the offensive side of the ball has been great, CP3 has been that leader. He's been getting the ball out to his wings. Cameron Johnson's been shooting really well from three, 42% on six attempts. Bridges has been shooting 50% on six attempts and is having historically one of the most efficient seasons of all time, Mikel Bridges. I don't think he's going to sustain that, but as of right now, he's been playing out of his mind. Jay Crowder, 34% from three, six attempts. Campaign, 2.5 attempts, 46, 47% from three. So you get the deal. It's Chris Paul kinking it out to his wings. They're getting the three ball. They're hitting it. And that's really what's driving this offense. But while the offense has been good, it is a defense. And the guy that I really want to talk about in particular is Mikhail Bridges because he has been something else defensively. Like he, in the bubble, he played like an all defense level player. But right now, he is looking like a member of the all-defense first team. So I have five players that he's played against. Donovan Mitchell, Brandon Ingram, Luka Doncic, Buddy Heald, and Darren Fox. All five are very talented offensive players. Donovan Mitchell, Bridges held him to 3% shooting in 30 possessions. Brandon Ingram, 2 for 4 shooting in 25 possessions. Doncic, 4 for 7 in 24 possessions. Heald, 0 for 3 in 17 possessions. And Fox, 1 for 5 in 16 possessions. He is locking up every opponent's best or second best offensive talent from the 1 to the 4, and he is effectively doing so. I have not seen elite defense like this from a Phoenix player pretty much in my entire time watching basketball. Mikhail Bridges is the defensive anchor of this team. This team is second in net rating and most importantly, second in defensive rating. And you can attribute that to Bridges because he has been playing like a most improved player candidate, a all defense candidate. And I think that if his offensive game kind of expands a little bit, if he can create his own shot, create his own shot off the dribble and learn to pass a little bit, we could be seeing an all-star two, three years down the line. That's how much I love Mikael Bridges. You're right about that one thing. His passing is probably his only weakness at this point. 
less than an assist per game. And for a team like a, a team like filled uh, like Phoenix, that's just a team basketball place. Uh, it's, it's really surprising how low that number is. But I mean, he's got zero turnovers on the entire season, so that is just inc- incredible. Yeah, that is something else. But I think Phoenix has been red hot. Monty Williams is looking like the early favorite for coach of the year. Wings have been great. And I think, as you said it, team basketball. I mean, look at the their wings. As I said before the season, the reason I like this team so much is their wings are versatile and they are terrific. They are deep and they can do everything. Campaign really turned it on last season. Um in the bubble, I know he's not technically a wing, he's a point guard, but he's been just great coming off the bench. Jay Crowder, Sarage, Bridges have been phenomenal. Daniel Smith's had some decent action in there. I thought Langston Galloway's been really solid off the bench. I mean, overall, this team is playing with so much just camaraderie. They've all bonded behind Monty Williams. They've gone behind identity. DeAndre Angel averaging 12 points a game. He's a first overall pick. He's like, all right, I'll put my team, I'll put my success to the side. We're just going to win as a team because you know what? That's what basketball is about, and that's why this team's been great. Booker said, you know what? Fine, I'm not going to average 27. I'll average 20, but I'll be five and one. So they've all put their egos to the side. I think a lot of that comes with Chris Paul and just him being such a leader, such a great player, mm-hmm. leading by example. Only 13 points a game for someone like Chris Paul. I think mean, he can obviously average more. I mean, Definitely. he is, what, third in the NBA in assists? I mean, he's just been the anchor of that. Just He's been a great leader for that team. I'm just, I'm happy I picked Monty for coach of the year at this point. Yeah, I'm kind of regretting. Who did I pick? Oh, I like, picked Brad Stevens. Yeah, you did. So, like, it's a pretty predictable one, but Monty Williams has been out of his mind. If you look at all of the good, reasonably successful teams, Miami, for example, They've had an abundance of wing talent that can shoot the ball and play defense. Jay Crowder, literally coming from Miami, Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, if you want to put him out the shooting guard, and then obviously Jimmy Butler, who has been playing, who played out of his mind in the bubble. So if you look at teams like that, I think that Miami, I mean, Phoenix, in a way, is trying to replicate that with their wing depth. You have the one-star wing, which is Devin Booker, then you have a whole bunch of 3 and D guys that can rotate, that can guard multiple positions, and that can play multiple positions around, around Booker. And then you have a playmaking point guard and a nice big. And you really have a good recipe for a sustainable team that can make a deep run in the playoffs. And as crazy as this sounds, I can see Phoenix in the conference finals. Yeah, so moving on from the best team in the West, a team that's been... Uh, struggling, to say the least, especially if you're shooting the basketball. So a completely different side of, the stale, uh, side of the scale. The Golden State Warriors, they are sitting right now at two and three. And they've been blown out on every single loss. What have you made of the Golden State Warriors start so far? And more importantly, can they turn it around? So I actually wrote an article about Golden State right now and more about Steve Kerr, if anything in triplethreatpodcast.com. I know it's a bit of a plug, but definitely go check out that article. In that article, I talked about how valuable Clay Thompson is because he is more of just a three, he's more of a three and D guy, but he's like him and Steph Curry are like Devontae Adams type guys. They are elite route running receivers. If you translated that to basketball, they are off ball. They're so dangerous in the off ball. They can pick out spots. They can pick out the exact 
hot sweet spots that they can get to. They get to him, and then they just shoot off of that. It's like Devontae Adams running a crisp route, getting a nice catch, and then taking it to the house. That's how, that's how I look at Golden State and how off-ball movement is so integral into their system. And so when you replace Clay Thompson with Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins, who, number one, cannot execute, they could maybe get to that off-ball spot, but they can't hit the shot. They're inefficient. And number two, they don't have the defensive prowess or really just the off-ball capabilities and ability to fit into Steve Kerr's system. That makes me really worried because now Steve Kerr has is forced to do two things, change his system for a year and hope that Clay Thompson can either readjust or he has to readjust once more, or one of those guys hopefully Wiggins instead of Ubre. I think Ubre is a little bit more talented. They need to just be shipped out. And I think the perfect guy to come in is Buddy Heald. He's a shooter. He's efficient. He works with high volume. When he's in a faster-paced offense, that's when he really thrives. He has a good point guard around him already in De'Aaron Fox, but Stephen Curry is obviously an upgrade. And I think that he could really add a whole tremendously insane aspect to his game if he can master off-ball movement in Golden State. And that'll make him a much more um, sexy free agent once his contract comes up. Yeah, I think both of us like the fit of Kelly Oubre in Golden State. Just with his tenacity on the defensive end, his hustle, what that would bring to the team. But when you have three guys that are both... You have Draymond, you have Oubre, and you have Wiggins, and none of them fit in that system. I mean, what, you, you can, the system can fit one of those guys, and that's been Draymond Green, the one guy that's been like, all right, I'm the defensive guy. I'll sit back. That's my role. I'll play defense. I'll let you guys take over the offense. I'll be here if you need me. So mm-hmm. when they take in a guy like Kelly Oubre, who plays that pretty similar role, and that's what I thought his role would be on this team, I mean, he's been putting up way too many shots for my liking, especially with that inefficiency. I mean – at some point, you have to recognize, oh, you know what? <laughs> I can't hit a three to save my life. Maybe I should pass it to someone else. Um, and then Wiggins, he's so on and off. He can have a 27-point game and then a 2-of-12 shooting night. I mean, yeah. he, the inconsistencies and the inefficiencies of those two players and just having both of them. I think the Golden State would be fine if they had just Wiggins or Oubre. But I think just having two inconsistent players is just really damaging to this team as a whole. So I still think this team has a chance to, to get back, but they need someone to help Curry because Curry has not been able to thrive. He is the, as you said, the ball movement has not been, the off ball movement has not been great. The ball movement has not been great. He's just kind of been just standing behind the three-point line, just walking around, trying to get something going, can't get anything, can't find some space. I mean, they have to play with more pace. They have to play with more intensity. They have to, I think a change in system is necessary just to benefit all the players because when you're trying to appeal to Steph Curry and it's not working, I mean, I think that you have to, this time for something else. I mean, this team has changed dynamically. Wiseman, Draymond, Oubre, and Wiggins is not fit the system that they have with Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. Steph Curry. So I think it's time for a change. I think Steve Kerr is going to have to recognize that, but this team Steph definitely has the talent to make the playoffs for sure. I don't even think that's a question. They easily can make the playoffs if something changes soon. But yeah, I mean, the way on, they're playing, they don't deserve it. Yeah, on paper, this team is very good. And they are a 
just purely on paper, at least a top six team in the West. But I think the fit is questionable. And the other thing, my other reservation with Ubre is he does not have that vocal leader or playmaking ability that Draymond Green has. And because of that, I once again question his fit as the defensive guy. Because Draymond would average seven to eight assists per game as a power forward. And he would be that leader. He'd be getting everyone together. For a lot of the young guys, they looked up to Draymond, which is something crazy, in my opinion. Like, how do you look up to Draymond Green? <laughs> but he was the guy setting the tone. And he really was the energy of that team. And I don't think that Ubre has that. And then the other thing is... Curry, it's pretty, I think this season is evident that Curry does need a second all-star caliber player. He needs another primary ball handler to get him into that off ball, to get him into those off ball spaces. And Curry, I mean, Thompson and Green kind of combined, gave him that ability. And then Durant came in and really helped him out even more. But I think that once Draymond, is Draymond back? He's back. He played. He played. Yeah. If Dray, if Draymond kind of gets back into the swing of things, and hopefully next year, if Clay Thompson comes back, even as eighty percent of the guy he was a few years ago, but he just needs to shoot, so that doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, I think that that will really help Curry a lot, because you can't. I'd rather leave Andrew Wiggins open and let him shoot a stupid shot than to cover up on him and then have Curry move around in the off ball where he can get an easy pass and then chuck up an almost guaranteed three. So there needs to be another ball handler or some kind of all-star player. Either schematic or roster changes need to be made for Golden State to compete. And if not, 2021's a damn good draft class, so they're not in the worst luck. They're not in the worst situation possible. Yeah, I mean, I would compare it to, I don't know the great analogy, but say you have, what, Tyree Hill. You put two men on him, you bump him up the line of scrimmage, you double team him, you play press down the field. You you can limit him, but you need someone else that the defense has to key in on that you just can't go, all right, let's get the best player. He's not going to play well. Somebody needs to step up. So I think what they need to do is just have someone else be able to scare the defense. And yeah, because there's no Travis Kelsey here. There's no Travis Kelsey. There's no Sammy Watkins. There's no Clyde Edwards either. There's no one else that the defense has to worry about. Yeah. So that's really been why Curry's not doing well. So Kerr and Curry have to go down, sit, sit down with Wiggins and with Ubre and say, all right, 10 hours of shooting straight. Come on, let's hit something here. Like, how do you go over seven on layups? Like, Kelly, come on, yeah. man. So like even I don't go over seven on layup. <laughs> I'm not uh, even a rec league all-star. Let's move on to Milwaukee, one of the best teams in the East. Uh, what have you made of Milwaukee start this season? So Milwaukee currently is three and three, sitting at 500. They've had some really great wins that went over Golden State, but then there are other times where their weaknesses have really been exposed. I think a lot of that goes with depth. I think for a long time, I was never really sold on Milwaukee's depth. I was never sold on guys like DJ Wilson. The only guy I was really sold on was George Hill because I know how efficient he is. And now looking at Milwaukee, these new role players don't really fit the defensive scheme. And they don't, 
they don't have that defensive ability that Wes Matthews and George Hill brought to the table. And then the shaky role players, they have minimal assets. This really makes me worry about their future because you need, you can't just have three all-stars. And they do have three all-star level players, Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday. And all three have been playing pretty well. But you need other guys to supplement them. Lopez has done a good job. DiVincenzo at times has done a good job. But then besides that, no one else has really played out of their minds. Bobby Portis has not been the guy that I really wanted him to be. He hasn't taken that defensive leap. Bryn Forbes is not a good defender. And so this really just makes me wonder, will Giannis grow unhappy or will there be some kind of implosion? Because in that Drew Holiday trade, they lost a lot of their recent assets. And it's going to be hard to recover from a trade like that and still not be the top team. Boy, would I love a collapse there. Why? Because we have their picks. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do. Are they protected? No. Yeah. Right, two pick swaps, two picks, all unprotected. So, would love a unhappy Giannis. So, let's hope that they keep trying the Golden State model because Golden State model only works if you have, like, elite step three Kevin Durant players. And so... Yeah. I think you have you you see these current teams. It's all about depth. Phoenix, uh, Miami. I mean, you look at one of the best teams in the East right now. You have the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, it's all about fit, schematics. That's the current NBA model. It's not about all-stars, it's not about superstars, it's about fit. And that's where the league's headed. And that's my that's the best part of the NBA, in my opinion. It's not just mm-hmm. the all-stars, it's not the super teams, it's the team with the fit, the grit. That's how I like basketball to be played. And yeah. The team that's embodied that, the fit and grit, it's the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, that's not the motto anymore, but that's still, they're still a pretty gritty team overall. But they lost their best player for two or three weeks, I believe. What, are you, what have you made of the John Moran injury? So I think that this is, a, they're in a pretty tough situation now. This time, unlike the last, it seems like ages at this point, but they have their first rounder. They don't have to give it to Boston. And this makes me wonder. Morant was set to be out three to five weeks, and this was from a week ago, so I guess two to four now. And that could mean about 12 to 17 games off. And that is a about a fifth of the season. And then you have to think about Jaron Jackson. He had a really tough injury, and it's going to take a while for him to recover. So do they kind of go that route of, you know what? Let's rest up a little bit, prepare for next season, Instead of making a playoff push, we kind of sludge towards the 12-13 seed and try to get another guy that can fit well or another, another you know, microwave scorer to complement Jer- John Morant's playing, playmaking ability. And I think you have that in Jalen Green. You have that in even Brandon Boston. He's been inefficient, but he's been playing well. Terrence Clark, let's see, um, even Evan Mobley. Jonathan Kaminga. So there are a lot of guys just coming out of high school and college right now that could really fit that microwave scorer role. Green is probably at the forefront of it. So do you think that they should just take a little bit of a rest, take a step back and kind of build for next season? Or should they keep on pushing for this season with Morant's injury and Jaron's hopefully a quick recovery, but I don't think it's going to be... That's That was a tough injury, so I don't think He's going to be 
in full strength until the pretty much the end of the season. Here's my philosophy. I mean, as Ricky Bobby said, if you're not first, you're last. There's no point in trying if you're not going to do anything. I mean, position yourself for the future. I mean, you're not going to make the playoffs. You're going to have a 10-game disadvantage when you have your team full strength or even 15 for being realistic. You're, you're going to be way out of the picture by the time you get your players back. I mean, always play with pride. Play with the kids and you never take any games off because that's how you're going to study development. You need to develop players. you got to be smart about it. You can't rush John Morant back. Give him six weeks. Give him maybe seven weeks. Don't put him back in the court because he relies on his, off his dynamism, off his athleticism. If you rush him back too soon, I just worry what you could do for his future. So they have the ability to sit him down, wait for Jaron Jackson to get healthy too, and then put them back at the same time, ease them back into the schedule, ease them back in. You have the luxury of time. You have all the time. And what does this team need? They need a wing. They need versatile, athletic, scoring wings. I mean, their current situation, they've got their point guard of the future. They've got their four of the future. They need to get their two and three. And that's the first thing that I would do right now. So I think Clark can be the three, though. I, yeah, Clark would be the three, but they need a two. They need that microwave score, as you were saying. So yeah. my philosophy would be give it seven weeks. And then after that, ease it back in and just play with pride, play with intensity, work on development. Don't worry about the results. You don't need them. They just need to get something going for the future because right now they don't have all the assets. They're, they don't have that young core like some of the teams behind them. Like you can look at some of the teams in the NBA. You go, all right, the Thunder. I mean, they have less talent than the Grizzlies, but maybe a team like the Timberwolves. They've got much more talent. They've got much more to work with. San Antonio has much more to work with. The Pelicans have way much to way way more to work with. Like the teams ahead of them in the playoff contention have a lot more young pieces to work around. I mean, they really only have three young pieces that I'd go, all right, that's someone who can, he's going to be on the team in five years, someone that I can build a franchise around. Because I know they've got a lot of good players, but you think about it, is there anyone behind Brandon Clark that's going to be on a championship contending team in five years from this Memphis Grizzlies team? I mean, I'd say no, but I, you know more about basketball than I do. So. I think Dylan Brooks is really the only other option as a shooter. Mm-hmm. But besides that, Valanciunas is getting older. And while he's a very valuable player and just an elite rebounder and a really good post defender, he's 28, 29, maybe even 30 at this point. So I think five years down the line, he's going to be way past his prime. So they really got to be looking at the future. They've rebuilt this team really well, especially with the assets that they've, with the cards that they've been dealt. They weren't always dealt the greatest odds, you know, having all those picks go to Boston and having Boston just stockpile, stockpile, stockpile on assets. But what, but with what they've done, they've done a really good job. Don't get me wrong with that. Clark, Jackson, and John Morant are three players that you can build a championship level team around. And now they just got to get one more guy and then just round out the team with players that really fit their system. You have a three and D big man, which is pretty rare. And he looks to be the probably the best 3 and D big man in the league going forward. 
And then you have an explosive, defensive-minded, floor-spacing wing slash power forward who looks to make big plays. And then you have an athletic, exciting, pass-first, but still an elite scoring point guard that can I can just go off at any given moment. We've seen how good Morant is. So I think that they just got to have one more piece, and then you just got to build a team around them. They need to look at their coaching staff. Who is their current coach? David Yeager, I think. Mm-hmm. Or Taylor Jenkins. You need to evaluate him. So it's just a matter of time. I think that people were really hyping them up because of how good Morant took them to last year. But you don't want to be stuck in no man's land. That's the worst state. And with the talent and the assets that they have, they should definitely not be stuck in no man's land because you could really build a championship contender five years down the line from what they have right now. I mean, I can't even remember what the trade is. I mean, I know there was the Jeff Green trade, but what all has been to stun? Like, it seems like there's been like 20 draft picks that the Boston has had from them. Like, I don't even know how they had so many picks. Like, it just seems like every year, like, they even have future draft considerations from them. And that, uh, what was Dennis Kander trade? I don't yeah. even know. It's- so I think what happened was, I think it was like two protected picks, but I think they were top five protected. So when Memphis took Jackson at four in 2018, and then they took Morant at two in, in 2019, that pick just kept on going and going. And then finally they were at 14 in 2020 and Boston got Smith. Unfair. Yeah, well, let's talk about Boston and more specifically, Jalen Brown and Kimba Walker. Uh, I know this is going to be your favorite, well, your second favorite topic of today. So uh, talk about Kimba Walker and his Boston team. So the return is a little bit delayed now. I don't know the exact timetable yet for Kimba Walker. It's a stem cell injection in his knee. So that is a pretty, pretty like scary treatment. And, you know, prayers up to him because he is a very talented player. But as of right now, Boston, while three and three, has looked good in some areas. And then they've choked a couple of, you know, close games. And they've won a couple of close games. But offensively, Boston right now ranks 13th in offensive efficiency, which is pretty much offensive rating. And I think that with Kemba back, that number will definitely increase. And that'll open up more opportunities for Jason Tatum, who we know has been playing very well. But another guy that I just wrote an article about that you guys should go check out is Jalen Brown. And if there's one thing that this man does, he develops and adds new levels to his game every single year. So in college, he shot 29% from three. And he was looked at as more of a defensive athletic freak type of guy. And then year one in Boston, 34%, year two, 40%, year three, 38%. And now I'm going to pull up his basketball reference, but on like really, really high volume, he's shooting upwards of 40%. So shout out to Jalen Brown. I feel like that has to do with his mentality, his academic background, the fact that he has this ability to learn his self-awareness. And that's what separates him from guys like Ben Simmons and Giannis, who also were had project level jump shots he is a very smart guy he wants to learn he wants to get better and that's exemplified in his you know 
chess background, the fact that he's taking classes, graduate level classes at Harvard and MIT, arguably the two top institutions in the world. And that when he was at Cal, he chose Cal because he wanted, you know, better academics instead of going to UNC or Kentucky, he wanted to go to a more academically, a more academic foundation type school. Duke. Yeah, Duke too. Actually, yeah, I think Duke is ranked higher than Cal. But oh, well, uh, since I think they're like seven or six. Yeah, but this is Triple Threat Podcast, not College Board. <laughs> so, <laughs> but look at Brown. I think that down the line, this might be a hot take. He will be the best player in Boston. I wrote this in the article too. Right now, he's averaging 28 points, five rebounds, three assists on 57% from the field on 19 attempts. And then 38% from three, so not 40, my bad, on 5.3 attempts. And then a little bit of a weakness, but around 70% from the line on five attempts. I think that he will kind of kink that out as the season goes on. The free throw shooting ability and his playmaking ability aren't the best but there have been strides in both areas. So that's why I think he will be the most complete player on Boston with his defense. He has to guard the best defensive player on every team pretty much besides, or, and he is the second best defender behind Marcus Smart on a top five defensive Boston team. So I will stop raving about Jalen Brown. I love Jalen Brown. I think that he has that all around ability. And if he bumps up the playmaking, he could be an all-NBA first-team type player. And I can't believe I'm saying that. But that's the kind of growth that he's had, his mindset, his growth, his self-awareness, and just his production, his ability to use his athleticism and his frame have really proven to me that he is an all-NBA-level player right now and will be going five, seven years down the line. So... You said first team. That's the thing I would I'd like to point out. So who, who are the guards that he would get in over for that spot? Do you think he has it over James Harden right now? Because that's kind of who he's buying with. Does his reliability or maybe team impact or maybe just personality get him that spot over someone like James Harden? Who just, oh, wait, wait. I don't have him as first team right now. But oh, like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I have him as like maybe second or third. Probably third. But maybe – three to four years down the line once all the guards kind of, you know, peak and they've starting to regress. Curry regresses. LeBron regresses. LeBron's not a guard. I mean, I don't know what LeBron is. He's everything. (laughs) Um, Harden regresses. I think that Jalen Brown could kind of creep into that next wave of guys. Or right now, he's been playing the majority of his minutes at small forward. So he goes in as a forward. So there's a lot of versatility there. I'm going to have to stop raving about Jalen Brown. That could be a whole episode in itself. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Brown, if you're watching this, please, please, please send us an email. We'd love to have you. <laughs> well, but so, another guy. Well, he's someone who I'd like to have the podcast, Christian Wood. We are the president of the Christian Wood Fan Club. And yes, we are. Here, here's one thing about me. When I see his stats, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's Christian Wood's stats. I mean, he's always been doing this. But I guess people haven't realized that this is what Christian Wood does. Christian Wood is a 20 and 15 kind of guy. 15? And, well, more, more like 13, but he can get 15. Wait, is he averaging 13 rebounds? I think he is. Wait, Houston. He's I, like, I got I to gotta take a look at this. 
Well, I'll keep talking right now while you're doing that because he's been he's averaging ten right now, eleven basically. So Christian Wood is an absolute stud, and when we see 24, 10, and two and two, we're like, okay, that's Christian Wood. That's what you're gonna get with Christian Wood. But the thing is, is that we are the strange basketball fans that watches Detroit, watches the AD list Pelicans. We're the people that enjoy bad basketball and try and see the one good player in that team that no one else does. And so when I hear in the MIP talk, I'm like, all right. I mean, he's doing the same thing he's done. Now he's just on a better team and having more usage. So, I mean, I can see it, but I've been so high on him throughout his career that I I mean, it's hard for me to see the the whole MIP talk because I mean I've always thought of him as a great player. He's an all-star level player, in my opinion. Christian Wood finally getting the recognition he deserves. He's an absolute stud. Just, just Ishan, tell me about this Houston Rockets team because him and John Wall have been two of the best offseason additions any team has made, if not the best offseason addition, the best yeah. two offensive uh, offseason additions any team has made. Because I can't think of one. I think that. At this point, with a big three of John Wall and um, Christian Wood, I don't know why Harden would still want out of Houston because they're in a very good situation. With the two games that two the two games that Wall's played in, they've both won. He's gotten their offensive rating up to tenth in the league, and I think that that will still skyrocket probably into the top five. And he has just been John Wall has been the engine behind this team. He is scoring. He's making plays. He's not the most efficient from three, 25% from three, but he's never been a three-point shooter. He has just been, he's been great. I love it. 25 points, eight assists. He does need to work on the turnovers because he has five turnovers a game. Harden has five turnovers a game, and that's just not going to cut it because you can't be playing sloppy basketball, especially in the Western Conference where every win really matters. So I think that if Wall cuts down on the turnovers and stays, I really hope, healthy and his you know quick style of play doesn't affect his Achilles even more, I think that – would you call him an all-star? Oh, for sure. He's been great offensively yeah. and defensively. Two steals, one and a half blocks. As he said, he is probably the best shot-blocking point guard, unless you count Ben Simmons, obviously. So – he is just a special kind of player, just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, he's been great shooting 25% from three, as you mentioned, on five turnovers, and he's still been great. Like, that just tells you how much of a player he can be. And just way he can work himself back from injury, he can be a 27-9 kind of guy. I mean, I truly believe that. I mean, he's 25 and seven and a half right now, so who's to say he's not going to be able to take more of the offensive load? Eric Gordon has been good this season as well. I mean, I don't think there's a better situation for James Harden in the entire league. Like, he could walk on to, what, the Suns roster, and they'd be a worse – I don't know if they'd be a worse team, but they wouldn't be, like, an exponentially better team because of it. I mean, he has a great fit here. I don't know. The assets that Phoenix would have to give up doesn't really make logical sense. Like, if it ain't broke, why try to fix it? Just I, I would just say, like, hypothetically, if you just dropped one on that team, I don't know if yeah. they'd be better. Because, I mean, James Harden, you're in the probably the best spot you could possibly be in. 
You're two and zero with Wall. Stay. I mean, you're in a great fit. Just, <laughs> just relax. So the next team that we should talk about is New Orleans, and I'll let you talk about these guys because you've watched the majority of their games. Brandon Ingram has really come to, come into his own. Defense has been improving. I think they are. Let me see. They are somewhere towards the top. They're fifth oh, they right are, now, I think. Yeah, they're fourth or fifth right now in defensive efficiency, which is defensive rating. So they're looking really good. Tell me about uh, New Orleans and tell me about their offense because I want to see this offense fixed because they're in the bottom half, actually bottom quarter of offensive efficiency. Yeah, that was the first thing I was going to bring up. Their offense has not been good this season at all. And while you have individual brilliance from Zion and Brandon Ingram at times, it's been really inefficient overall. And one place you're going to want to look at first are the turnovers. They already have 15 turnovers a game. I mean, overall, numbers are not going to cut it. And just one issue where I see is when Zion drives to the paint, his ball security is at Taysom Hill level at times. Like, it is ball on the ground. Sometimes the ball just flies in the air, just magically. I just, I don't even know how it goes that high. Like, it doesn't even look like it's been moved. Like, I don't understand how it's been happening. And then there's just been really, really inefficient shooting uh, performances from a lot of players. Lonjo has been hit or miss. Eric Bledge has been very hit or miss. Nick Alexander Wall has been hit or miss. And then JJ Reddick's had some struggles uh, shooting recently. And then Nico Melli can't hit a shot for his life. Uh, I think the funniest interview he's had is where he's like, yeah, people in England, they say I'm good at basketball. Yeah, they're being nice. I, I don't see it personally. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he's a funny guy. Nico Belli is probably one of the best play like, people on the team, but he, he cannot hit an NBA three. He still has to adapt from the Euro League. And this, I think a lot of the problem is, is, is spacing. And they're, it's really congested offense. When you have, I mean, Stan's got the right idea trying to separate Zion and Brandon, but they're, they have to have some more offensive identity because right now they don't really have an identity. It's give it to Brandon. Hopefully he can do something. If not, well, Steven or Zion will get the offensive rebound because they have, what, 4.6 a game, both of them. I mean, both of them have been absolutely incredible on the offensive board. Zion's got 3.3. Steven's got 3.7. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible numbers on the offensive glass. And then Josh Hart's also a really good rebounder, 1.2 for himself. And I mean, they've been strong on the glass. They just have to have an identity. They have to be able to space the floor. And there's just not a lot of off-ball movement as well. They've been really quiet, just kind of standing still, seeing if Brandon can do something or not. So if they can get JJ going on some screens, get Nikhil going, get maybe some more Eric Bledge. So he's been good on the dribble drive. He can get some penetration going. And then Alonzo's got to get some more playmaking going. But I think it starts with a lot of off-ball screens. I think that's what the team's really got to work on just to get the players moving, just to get the passing lanes going, and just get this offense going. But what they have improved on is defense. They have almost as many games holding an opponent under 100 points as they did all of last season. I mean, they have been absolutely incredible in the defensive end. Steven Adams is a stud. One and a half blocks. One and, well, one and a half steals, one block. He's been absolutely incredible. Look at guys like Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball. Both of them have the potential to be an all-defensive player. You have guys like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's just all effort, all energy. He's a kind of greedy guy. 
He was one from five last game from three. So what did he do after the game? After a win, he stayed on the court and just played and just shot hoops the entire time. Zion and Brandon are just absolutely incredible basketball players. So this team's second in the West and struggling offensively. That just tells you how great this team is. Zion and Adams have changed just the interior of this defense and changed the culture there. I mean, it is grit. It is just tenacity. Everyone loves the team. Everyone loves Stan. And then what I love about Stan is he's honest. I mean, people ask him, I think one of the reporters asked him, why did the offense play better this game? And he's like, honestly, it's nothing that I did because there's no way whatever I did changed this offense. The players just played better. He's honest. I think the players like him. I mean, I don't know if you've watched much Pelicans basketball. I've watched pretty much every game. But, oh, it's – it's a it's a roller coaster sometimes. They'll be down twenty, they'll be up ten, they'll be like tied. It's just a roller coaster all over the place. It's a crazy time watching the Pelicans. But overall, I mean, they usually start the season zero and five. So going four and two is just a, a breath of fresh air. It's absolutely incredible to see. Uh, it's fun watching Pelicans basketball, and if they can hit their turn offensively, there's no reason why they can stay as a top four seed in the West. They're number two while they're struggling. So who knows what they can do. With them like offensively thrive. Yeah, and for such a young team with Zion being the, lo- the longest tenured player there and a new head coach, you expect a bit of a learning curve and some growing pains. But if you're four and two with those kind of growing pains, I think you're exactly right. Down the season, when it really matters, when you're fighting for that playoff spot, that's when they're going to hit their stride. And if they make it to the playoffs, they'll have some momentum riding into it. So I'm excited to see New Orleans. They are obviously a fun team to watch. They have the most marketable player in the NBA, Zion Williamson. So we'll see a lot of attention in New Orleans. So moving on to another marketable player on a pretty good team. Now, it's kind of the opposite in Atlanta here. We are an amazing offense. I love it. Just seeing this team on offense makes me so happy. But then on defense, we're just god-awful. Like, it's just such a stark contrast. It makes me laugh sometimes. But offensively, Trey Young is is having a historically great season, just looking at the impact that he's made. I know last year, a lot of people said that he was just putting up empty stats, but this year with the right players around him, he's been, he's shown that he can put up stats like that. He can be efficient, but then he makes his teammates better. He's, uh, he's absorbing defenses that gives open looks for Reddish. That gives open looks for Bogey, for Gallinari. And Atlanta right now was second in offensive efficiency when last year there were 27. So it shows that Trey Young is really the engine driving this team. He's shooting well, and most importantly, he's getting to the line. He averages more free throw attempts per game than the entire Toronto Raptors team as a whole. 15, and he's shooting them at a 90% clip, or an above 90% clip. So... I don't think that's going to sustain. I don't think these numbers are going to sustain. There'll be a slight decrease in just everything kind of across the board once defenses start to figure them out a little bit. But I still expect Atlanta to be red hot on the offensive end, be a top five offensive team, going from dead last in three-point percentage to third in three-point percentage at 40%. It just shows the strides that Travis Schlink has made as a GM. And I think that if they keep this up, if they're winning games, he should be the executive of the year because he made some ballsy moves. He made some really risky moves that a lot of people didn't agree with, but they've paid off. 
And he's really built this team around Trey Young, around his strengths. We haven't even seen Okongwu yet. We haven't seen Chris Dunn yet. We've seen limited action from Clint Capella. So I'm really excited to see this team going forward. So on the defensive end, yeah, we're not great. We're at the bottom of the league. The fact that we're still six in net rating is something else that shows how good this offense is. But now that we have Capella back, he's been anchoring the defense with limited minutes. And when he's on the floor, there is a noticeable difference in the paint. Teams are fading out to the perimeter because Capella is feared there. He can get rebounds. He can get blocks. And so he has been great. And he has been the bright spot on a defense that otherwise has not been, you know, not been that good. But when you have Onyeka Okongwu, who had Bam Adebayo defensive comparisons coming out of college, and then you have Chris Dunn, one of the best defensive guards in the league, coming back and taking that load off of Trey, taking that load off of Gallinari and John Collins, I think that our defense will not catch up to the offense, but hopefully be around the 16 to 18th range in the NBA. And with an offense that good and a defense around 16 to 18, I think you can get by. So I got a question for you. So th- your two main offseason additions, uh, Bogdanovich and Gallinari, have not been a very big impact on the team so far. So how big of an impact has Hunter and Cam Reddish's development been to the success of this team? Well, I would say Bogdanovich has been a big impact on this team. He's just been shooting lights off. Well, but well, not, <laughs> not last game. Gallinari. Gallinari's been a little bit underwhelming at times, but he's been pretty efficient, and he's been injury-prone. He's been day-to-day. So there's that. Once he gets fully healthy, I think he'll get better. But Reddish and Hunter, I really love both of them. I even have a Cam Reddish t-shirt that I think I've worn on one of the episodes. i got to figure that out. But I think that Hunter and Reddish, they've been inconsistent. But it's always that when Hunter is inconsistent, Reddish is red hot. And when Reddish is inconsistent, Hunter is red hot. Like, Hunter has had two games where he shot above 70% from the field. And Reddish has just been, at times, explosive and running the offense as a wing. So he's been great. I think that they are still young, and that youth does show. They make sloppy mistakes, especially Reddish in his playmaking. He's had a lot of easy playmaking looks that he's just avoided or that he's just messed up with a bad pass. So I'd like to see him patch that. But if they're playing hot and if they're playing hot together, I think that these two could definitely be the future starting wings, especially that now that Reddish is getting, I mean, Gallinari is getting older and that Bogdanovich is on, he's on a two-year deal. So if he demands more money and we can't afford him, then we have Hunter and Reddish to lay back on. It was a longer deal than that. I thought it was. Oh, no, it was four, right? It's four, 470, right? Yeah, 470. My bad, my bad. Well, anyways, I've been really impressed by by Hunter. He has been defensively incredible. He has been just that. I mean, he shut down Kyrie to a significant degree. I mean, what he's done defensively has been great. I think that you look at guys getting Capella back for this season was really influential. That 12 rebounds a game is really influential for a team that's not – he's the heartbeat of that defensive or, or that uh, rebounding unit because there is no other guy on the team that's even close to his ability. Trey Young's been a great facilitator, and he has kept it relatively clean 
I mean, only 3.8 turnovers. I mean, it's not awful, but it's not bad. So, yeah. so I think though this team, I mean, their biggest improvement has been the jerseys. I always hated those gold green jerseys. They've finally gone down to something simple, something classy, and they like played. Them. They they played the level of their jerseys. They had good jerseys. They changed them. They played bad. They changed them again. They're playing well. So I see a pattern here. I like it. Hawks are playing well. They look good, and then they also look good. Yeah. The two other guys that I wanted to talk about are Rondo and John Collins. I'll talk about Rondo first. There have been times where when Rondo is leading the offense, he's done as good of a job as Trey Young, being the facilitator, being the playmaker. He's even had the confidence to go out and shoot some threes, and he's been making them too. So I'm really happy that we signed Rondo. He's the perfect backup. And when Trey needs a break, I I don't fear having, you know, Brandon Goodwin in. As good as as much as I like Brandon Goodwin, he's nowhere near of a level as Rondo is as a playmaker, as a leader, as a facilitator. So Rondo has been doing great. And Rondo and Reddish, when they're on the floor together in particular, I've seen Rondo kind of take Reddish under his wing and open up a lot of opportunities for Reddish. And that's where he thrives the most, if anything. And then the other guy that I got to talk about is John Collins. And this makes me so sad to say because me and you have met John Collins at an event. I have a shirt autograph from him that I will probably frame and put in a new setup behind me very soon. But as much as I love John Collins, I think he's got to go. He's not worth the BAM out of Deer and Fox money. I've said this for like eight consecutive NBA episodes at this point. He turned down the $90 million extension, which was a really big blow. Because we need that money for Trey, for Hunter, for Reddish, for Herder. And I think that while 17 points is good, he's shooting 28% from three. I'd like to see him have better three-point numbers because he is a floor-spacing big, in my opinion. He has been, he's only had 6.8 rebounds on the season when he's averaging double-digit rebounds last year and the year before. I know there's Capello, there's Gallinari, and even DeAndre Hunter, but still... He plays a significant share of the minutes, so he's got to be getting rebounds. And then it's defense. When you take out Capella and put Collins in at the center, there is a just offenses know that, all right, the real deal is out. Collins is in. While he's athletic, we can get to the rim easier. And now they're, for, now they're forced less to take, you know, risky threes, and they can just get to the paint easily because Collins is pretty passive on defense. I'd like to see him be more of an aggressive shot blocker. I'd like to see him crash the defensive glass more. And I'd like to see him crash the offensive glass even more too. So because of that, I think John Collins, he needs to go, unfortunately. But on whatever team he goes to, he'll make a big impact. Right now, I'm eyeing Miles Turner. He hasn't been shooting that well from three. I think that lowers his value a little bit. But since his value is lowered a little bit, that trade value is a little bit lowered so we can get a good deal and maybe get another serviceable player in return from Indiana, Victor Oladipo. <clears throat> Victor Oladipo. <laughs> so John Collins, a couple of assets. We could run a trade around Oladipo and Turner. I think that, well, as an Indiana GM, I wouldn't take that. I think that someone, I, someone could take a trade around that level of assets because Collins is a very good offensive big man. I mean, I bet you guys wish you guys had a Steven Adams because uh, he'd be perfect for that team. 
my God, Stephen Adams and Clint Capella. That would be. That's fearless. That really would be. So we've only got a couple of topics left. Uh, we'll make this one quick because uh, it's old news at this point. But Spencer Dinwiddie partially torn ACL. He's gonna miss the whole season, but they expect like a full recovery. It's good to hear it's only partial. Obviously, that mm-hmm. makes it so much better for long-term health and just for the healing process in general. So, what have you made of Spencer Dinwiddie's health? So I really think this is a giant blow because when Ky- when Katie and Kyrie were out, Dinwiddie was the leader. He was taking the clutch shots. He led what now is the bench unit. Now that their starting unit has gotten a lot better, and he was just a vocal leader, a really good guy to have in the locker room. And so I think that presence will be missed a lot. If Kyrie and Katie ever have a bad game, Dinwiddie would be that guy to step up, in my opinion. So his loss is just a big blow. But I think that we'll see some more minutes out of Levert and Shamit. Levert, as we know, is very good. Shamit's a good shooter. So I really hope that this doesn't have a big, big locker room blow because Spencer Dinwiddie, he speaks his mind. And he can rally a team together, especially in the clutch. So now that you have Katie and Kyrie there, it helps out a lot. But I think that Dinwiddie is such a big blow. And I think that out of everyone besides Katie and Kyrie, having Dinwiddie hurt probably hurts the most. Well, we'll move on to our final two topics. We're going to talk about the most surprising struggles in each conference. We have the Denver Nuggets and the Washington Wizards. Uh, which do you want to start off with, Sean? Let's start off with Denver. All right. So they have a clear issue. And this is one of the clearest reasons why a team is struggling. The Warriors is more ambiguous. This one is clear cut. They are the worst team in the, in, in the entire NBA. Despite being the fourth best offense, they are one in five sitting 15th in the NBA and in the Western Conference. They are surprisingly the second or their joint worst or they are joints tied for worst in the entire NBA. So what have you made of the Nuggets start of the season so far? And what can they do to address their defensive woes? I think that losing Jeremy Grant is a big blow. And then obviously Paul Millsap, who is definitely an anchor, regressing hurts a lot. I think that it's a lot more about, you know, contesting the shots they are second to last in opponent true shooting percentage, which means that from all over the floor, you know, opponents are able to shoot efficiently against them. And so I think that they need to make some kind of trade or get some of their better defensive role players into the system because Michael Porter Jr., they're in a really tough stop. They're in a tough spot with him. Game, like, you need to either play him 30 minutes and make him the offensive talent that he is, give him that time, or you just need to get rid of him. Because right now, playing him like 20, 25 minutes a game and him not playing that well because he doesn't have that opportunity to really blossom is hurting the team because he's not that good of a defender. But if you play him a little bit more and he gets things going and he ramps up the offense a little bit, that can, to some extent, offset some of their defensive woes. So, you could, so number one, they need to go all in on Michael Porter Jr. Number two, they need to address something in the defense. Will Barton wants out. So, you know, use him to get some kind of defensive guard or defensive wing specialist. And then I will say one thing, Skinny Jokic has been amazing on offense. So 
the offense is there. It could even be even it could even be better with Michael Porter fully unleashed. But now it's using the assets that they have because they have a lot of them to address that defense and making the right trades to improve on the defensive end of the on the defensive end of the court. Because if you're not a good defense, you're not making it far in the playoffs. No, that's that's one of the things that you have to talk about. Their three best players, Murray, Jokic, and MPJ are not defensive stalwarts. They are not a defensive unit at all. You think putting Bull Bolin for more minutes would do anything on the defensive end just because of his shot blocking ability, or do you think he'd be more of a liability than uh, addition? I don't think. I think he would probably hurt a little bit, just because he's not that a defensive upgrade over Plumley. But yes, in terms of pure block numbers, he will definitely be able to alter shots at the rim. He'll be able to block shots. But his mobility worries me a lot because if you have a floor spacing big that fades him out to the perimeter, then there are issues there because then that big could just blow right past him. He's not the most mobile. Mm-hmm. I mean, that comes with different. I mean, for being seven foot two, he is really mobile. But for being an NBA player, for being yes. a center, he is not. Yeah. Like if you had Zion Williamson playing the center, I mean, that would be one of the worst mis- mismatches. On, I mean, on both ends of the floor. I mean, Zion can't stop. I mean, I mean, he's got a 44-inch vertical, so maybe he can, but, I mean, Bull can't do anything to stop the charging Zion. I mean, I don't think anyone can at this point. I mean, but I think that they need to make a trade at some point. I don't know who that's going to revolve around. Probably Will Barton, just because of his disgruntled nature and being the bench player. Would you? Who would you see as a potential trade partner to give them a defensive stalwart to really help this team out? So if they want to go the big route, I think Miles Turner is probably the clear-cut option. And then on the wings, if Golden State's really disgruntled with Oubre, that could be an option right there because he has that defensive energy. And then on the defensive guard end, I'm not too sure right now. I don't know who's really available because I think we're going to be holding on to Chris Dunn, and he's the only one that I can see really leaving his team because Marcus Martin, Drew Holiday aren't going anywhere. Bonzo and Bled aren't going anywhere. Yeah, so I think it'll be tough to find a guard, but I think there are some bigs and a couple of wings available like Oubre and Turner that could, you know, maybe be trade targets. Because they also have RJ Hampton, too. He is a great offensive player, not a great defensive player, and he could be expandable. I don't know if they want him to be expandable because he has a lot of potential, but he could be expandable. I think they're going to want to hold on to him to just maximize his value, just like they did with MPJ and with Bull Bull. Take him low, sit him, develop him slowly, and then get the value. Or not get the value, but at least half value on him. Because Bull Bull's value would be next to nothing after five games of the NBA season last season. My poor junior's value would be pretty much the exact same as it was coming out after five games of his rookie season. So... I think they got to hold on. They got to trade a Will Barton or something like that. Maybe if they want to do something blockbuster, Jamal Murray is probably the only name that they could probably shift off because they're not going to trade Jokic. They're probably yeah. – I wouldn't trade in PJ. I think Murray, if they really want to like, just change their identity, it just go something completely crazy. I think he could yeah. be a name. I wouldn't see it happening. Maybe Gary Harris too. You think Oladipo could be an option for them? Yeah, if they do something around like Harrison Barton and a couple picks. 
Yeah, that could that could be an option. So mm-hmm. let's move on to the other struggling team. This is the worst team in the entire NBA. One in five, the only team one in five, the Washington Wizards, and they've been. I mean, they've been pretty good. They lost by three to the Wizard to the Bulls. They lost by eight to the Bulls. They lost by seven to the Magic, ten to the Magic. And then they kept it really close to the Sixers. That was an awesome game to watch. That was really fun on opening night. They lost by six to the Sixers in the opening night game, 113 to 107. They should have won that game, in my opinion, too. They were yeah. better for most parts of that game. So what's been the issue? Because statistically, Beal and Westbrook have been great. I think it's coaching. Scott Brooks, especially in the late game, has pulled some Alvin Gentry type stuff, <laughs> just being completely disorderly and not really, you know, maximizing the potential of the talent that he has because the talent is definitely there. And then the other issue is defense, not the best defensive team. I'm gonna say it again, just because he's on the market and just because he's been a defensive force. Miles Turner is always available because you have some heavy-footed, not really mobile, not really good defensive shot blocking bigs on that team. So I think that Miles Turner could be him and Thomas Bryant. You could have Thomas Bryant as the offensive big, Miles Turner as a defensive big, and they can both space the floor relatively well. So I'd like to see Turner go somewhere else from Indiana if he's really requesting a trade because there are a lot of teams in the market for a 3 and D big. And on the defensive end, he really brings that out. Four blocks, two steals as a center is something else. So I think that defense, coaching, and then they need to do something quick because either fire Scott Brooks, make the trade, because if Bradley Beal requests a trade, which there have been rumors for, then this whole team is going to implode because Bradley Beal is that number one scoring guy. He's a microwave scorer, and he offers so much floor spacing for Westbrook that if Beal is gone, this team is just going to be like another OKC-type team where they're not really going anywhere. I would love it. The Pelicans have been constantly in league with Bradley Beal for about the past three seasons. I mean, it's been all the time. We don't have a microwave score. He would be the answer to the team. This would be like the next step. If you're the Pelicans, would you target Beal or Harden with the assets that you have, or would you keep and hold, or wait for someone that's more in your development timeline? Let's see. I think Harden obviously is great. He comes with a lot of baggage, though. And I kind of question the fit a little bit. And age. I mean, they just do not fit the yeah, timeline at all. He's what, what, over 10 years, decade older than Zion Williamson. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> but I think that Beal, he's obviously going to be less of a burden in terms of giving up assets. And now that they do have the assets from Milwaukee and Milwaukee, I guess in your hope is trending on a downwards path, then those assets could be a lot more valuable. But I would honestly wait until the offseason, if anything, because right now it's been six games. And I think at the deadline, you don't want to, they're going to be asking for a little bit more than normal. So I think that you wait till the offseason, see what Beal really has to say about the team. If he's disgruntled and he really wants out, they make a last second pursuit and hopefully they don't have to give up as much. What would you see a potential package costing for Beal? Um, what, a Jackson Hayes, Nikhil, and maybe two firsts? Yeah, I think Lonzo or Hayes, Nikhil, and probably a uh, first or, yeah, two firsts and maybe a second. 
I would be having party with Lonzo. Um, one, I don't want to pay him going forward because he's going to be asking for a fair chunk of cash. So yeah. if you could trade him by the deadline and get Beal, who's only 27, I think that gets you a lot of versatility because you'd have your point guard in Bledsoe, your backup in Nikhil, then you have microwave scorer, Brandon Ingram, Zion, Steve Downs. I mean, that is one of the That's scariest lineups. Well, that'll conclude it for Triple Grip Podcast today. Um, anything else you want to add before we finish, Nisha? Uh, no, not really, but definitely check out the website. Check out the Patreon. We have a Mikhail Bridges article coming up, too. And I know Will has some NFL content that he's going to be putting on the website. So definitely go check that out. Like, subscribe, comment your thoughts. That's really it. Well, I hope you had a good one. I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast. As always, my name is Will Take care. Branding for the beat.